Hello, and welcome to Solid Food, a podcast that is meat for your soul. This podcast is designed to improve the biblical literacy of all those who desire to know and please God better. I'm Dr. Lee Lewis, and it is a privilege and a blessing to be your host. This is our second podcast, and for those of you who tuned in initially, you know that it was conceived as a project and an assignment of a doctoral program. Well, I'm grateful to God that the degree has been achieved and obtained, but more, this podcast is one of the outcomes and products of it. You see, my thesis was and is that the church has significant opportunities to improve its biblical literacy. And when I mean the church, I mean the individuals located therein. Simply put, we do not know nearly as much Bible as we should. This podcast was conceived to address the issue by teaching all willing learners how to study the scriptures for themselves. The great Theodore Geisel once wrote, It is better to know how to learn than to know. Interestingly enough, Theodore Geisel is Dr. Seuss. But the idea was so popular with my professors, as well as the congregation I serve, this will become a regular, mostly regular, weekly show. I hope that you will join me for future episodes. As far as the name, Solid Food, I encourage you to take a look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. So let's hasten on to today's subject matter. I was asked by a member of our congregation to bring a lesson for a men's breakfast that typically takes place on the third Saturday. And there was a specific request about a passage that this member wanted to know about. So I did a little study and um, thought, wow, what a great topic for a podcast. And so today, I'd like to share that with you. The passage of scripture that was requested can be found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And it simply says, and I read from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Once again, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now, this was an interesting request because I believe that we all have things going on in our lives. And as Christians, we beseech the face of God to assist us in our time of need, to relieve us in our time of suffering. And we reach to scriptures like this to understand how that works. And we do so many times with the expectation that our suffering will be relieved and our desires will be met. So I have to ask us this morning, family, what is the purpose of prayer? I submit to you that, I mean, and you, we, I can ask 10 people and come up with 10 different answers. And I know that because I've done that. But what I try to share with those whom I serve uh, are the following. And this is not an exclusive or exhaustive list. But I submit to you that the purpose of prayer is, one, to demonstrate faith in God. Why would you pray to a God that you didn't believe in? Number two is to demonstrate trust in God. Again, we go to God in prayer because we trust him. 
um, to meet us where we have need. And this includes will alignment. We want to be aligned with the will of God. So we go to him in prayer. And third and last, for the purposes of our discussion today, the purpose of prayer is to demonstrate reliance upon God. If you could do it yourself, you probably wouldn't pray about it. If you could accomplish it on your own, you probably wouldn't reach out to God to ask him to accomplish it for you. So again, prayer demonstrates faith in God, demonstrates trust in God, and demonstrates reliance upon God. So when we talk about Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, there are things that we need to understand um, about what that says and what it means. And we're familiar with other passages of scripture that would seem to say the same thing. In John chapter 15, verse seven, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide or live in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John chapter 14 Verse 13 and 14 says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is Bible. And there are other instances of pray and you will receive type scriptures. These and other passages seem to be cut and dried about what we should do to achieve our desires where the Lord is concerned. But is it? It's easy to lift a passage from from scripture and from out of its context and apply it in a way that was not intended nor potentially applicable. This family is why it is critical that we study the scriptures with great interest, great intent and great enthusiasm. That is what this podcast is all about, teaching us how to study the scriptures for ourselves that we might derive proper interpretation and application of the word of God. To do so, we'll use Bible study tools and exegetical methods. Now, exegetical, exegesis, a cognate simply means determining the original intent of the author by studying the scriptures critically. It is designed to overcome the gaps between ancient writings and modern understanding. So one of the first things that I like to do is talk about the author of the text. And, and this is something that we'll do sometimes, but not all the time. It just, it just depends on whether it's relevant to what we're talking about for the day. In this case, as we look at the book of Matthew, it's important that we know a few things about what Matthew is trying to accomplish. First, He demonstrates in his writing that Jesus and his church are the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel. Perhaps the most significant challenge to Jesus's disciples is the charge to make disciples in every part of the world. You're familiar with Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 19 and following. With Israel's increasing rejection of Jesus, we find in Matthew's writing, comes God's increasing threats of judgment on Israel. We see that 
enemy combatants of the Lord were the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin. But there was also a larger hostility toward Jesus. In Matthew eleven sixteen, the word generation is used to describe those who stood against him. And then further in chapter 12, verse 39, evil, adulterous generation. And finally, in chapter 12, verse 45, evil generation. So this applies not just to the traditional adversaries of Christ, but lots and lots of people, unfortunately. And, and, and the last thing that I will share with you about what Matthew is trying to accomplish with his writing is that Jews who were living after the death of Christ have to come to God through Jesus. You remember in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. So to Gentiles, uh, so too, I should say, Gentiles may now serve God by following Christ in discipleship. Both Jesus and the church, in a sense, become a new Israel. And Jesus then embodies all of the promises of the Old Testament. Now, I said all of that really to kind of begin to guide us toward consideration of the scripture for today. Again, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So again, wanted to make sure that we understand Matthew wrote this. What was the purpose or what are the themes that can be discovered in Matthew that can help us to understand what's going on in chapter 21, verse 22. So now let's look at the context of that passage of scripture, because, you know, one of the things that it's important to know is that it is easy to lift any scripture out of its context and then begin to do any kind of thing that we want to with it. Um, I think that does the Bible a disservice. It does the seeker a disservice. And it can be very dangerous because people have claimed many, many things with regard to what scripture says that have been damaging because it's taken out of context and just flat wrong. So let's take a look at the context that we should consider. In Matthew uh, chapter 21, looking at verse 18 through about 21, the Bible tells us the story of the barren fig tree. The Bible tells us that in the morning when he, Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, no longer shall you, I'm sorry, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. Hmm. And then it goes on in verse 22 to say, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. 
So immediately then the question comes, well, hold on. So you've got this fig tree and Jesus is dissatisfied because it doesn't have any fruit on it because he's hungry. And so he essentially curses it and it withers up and dies. And when people are fascinated by this, he says, you'll be able to do the same thing and even more. You could move mountains, he says. And then all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So there's the immediate context of that passage. But I think it's also important that we understand that the context does, does not include a few verses before and a few verses after. It can include vast passages. It can include the entire chapter. It can include the entire book just to understand, which again, which is why I shared with you some of the themes of Matthew that you're going to see come through here. But I'd like to take us a little bit further back. Let's go up to verse 12. And this is going to be a famous passage of scripture for you as well, something that you should be familiar with. Again, in Matthew chapter 21, where all this is found, it's the same chapter. So in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's important. You should remember that. A house of prayer. He says, but you are making it a robber's den. Now, we see then that the blind in verse 14 and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. Now, why do we bring that up? Because we see that there was a problem with the temple. It was designed to be a house of prayer. It was designed to be a place where people went to worship God. In fact, in previous iterations, the presence of God abided there. Yet, now, it turned into a den of thieves, money changers, people trying to make profit and get gain. Further, the religious leaders of the time, rather than trying to encourage people to come to God, were in fact, being adversarial toward the Son of God. Again, it's the chief priests and the scribes who saw, once again, what was described as the wonderful things that he had done uh, and were indignant. Right? Absolutely indignant. Now, let's talk about prayer Faith and what Jesus said could be done. Remember, the tree was cursed. Jesus said, if you've got faith, you can move mountains. Now, in Matthew chapter 17, and I realize that we're Bible trotting this morning, but that's what Bible study is. <laughs> Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, 
and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And that's important for us to understand because we see a second utilization of moving mountains through prayer, through faith, through believing. But it's important for us to know that moving mountains was also proverbial for overcoming difficulties. See, the desire is not to have Mount Everest be picked up and moved into the Pacific Ocean. What would be the point of that? Why would anyone do that? How is God glorified by that? So Jesus's words are obviously metaphorical since neither God nor Christ ever re rearranged the topography of the land by supernatural invention. Okay, it's important to observe here that it is not the amount of faith which brings the impossible within reach, but the power of God, which is available to even the smallest faith. So what we see here again, and I mentioned this in the number two uh, slot for what prayer is, is all about, will alignment. The idea is to align your will with the will of God, that the things of God can be accomplished by us if we would but believe in him and have faith that these things can be accomplished. When Jesus says nothing will be impossible for you, this must be interpreted as nothing Jesus has given you the authority to do. We can read in scriptures where Jesus gave the apostles the ability to exorcise demons. Now, there are a lot of things that are impossible for believers. Can you imagine trying to build a skyscraper by yourself in one day? Of course not. It's not possible. So the things that are talked about here are based on the limitations of our humanity and of God's will. What should be coming into focus for you is, am I praying in concert with the will of God? Now, verse 20, nevertheless, provides a precious promise that we definitely shouldn't ignore. Much is not accomplished for the kingdom because we simply don't believe God will adequately empower us or else because we undertake various activities in our own strength rather than God's. You must know what it's like to want to accomplish something, but to do so without prayer, without consulting God and, and, and to perhaps fail to take something up because you just don't believe it can happen. You know, Society is so terrible today. People are just aren't going to will, be willing to listen to the word of God. And so we're not going to go out and pray with people. We're not going to have Bible studies in our home. We're not going to tell people about who God is because people aren't interested. OK, well, then you're limiting the power of God, are you not? And you're also neglecting the responsibilities that you have as a child of God to carry out the will of God. It's important that we understand all of this context that we're building around this passage. When Jesus says you can move mountains and you can wither trees, we have to recognize the limitations of that promise in light of other scriptures and not use it to guilt trip ourselves or others when faith does not eliminate every calamity from our lives. And what do I mean by that? Because most of the time we pray, we pray for things that we want or need. 
we also pray for things that we want or desire for others. For instance, maybe we have a sick relative. We've got uh, a mom or a dad who's sick. We've got a child who's ill. Uh, I experienced personally myself um, a daughter who's enduring cancer, uh, not once, but twice. Faith does not eliminate every calamity from our lives. I would rather not have a daughter who has cancer, <laughs> but that's the way things are. And I would point you back to the Bible where Paul famously had a thorn in his flesh. You recall, and even though the Bible is not clear as exactly what that thorn is, thorn is a metaphor, there was a malady, there was an issue, there was a problem, there was something that he was enduring that involved suffering that he desired to be delivered from. But you'll recall what the Lord said to him after he prayed three times and was not answered. He didn't ultimately receive the answer. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. So no, I'm not going to relieve you of what you're suffering from because there is a higher will that you should be coming into alignment with. You recall Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asked that the cup of suffering pass him by. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, oh God, but thy will be done. So again, Jesus was suffering. Jesus knew what was about to happen. But he was not delivered from his personal calamity because the will of God dictated something else. So when we pray and say, well, this says here, all I have to do is ask and I'll receive it. Eh, there's more to understand from it than that. So the fig tree. In our exegetical study, utilization of a concordance can often add greatly to our understanding of a passage. What is a concordance? A concordance is simply a tool that lists all the words in the Bible and where those words can be found. And we can often find that these words are found in other places that will provide enlightenment and additional information as to what they mean uh, when we use that resource. And so the concordance um, will contain the word fig or fig tree. We can look at the list of passages where that's used. We're going to find Luke chapter 13, verse 6 through 9. And in Luke chapter 13, verse 6 through 9, the Bible says that he began telling this parable. Jesus, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. See, there is the fig tree again. And he came looking for fruit on it, didn't find any. That sounds familiar. Now, he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years, I've come looking for fruit on this tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he said, and he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year, too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Now, this is also a parable whose message is. And, and again, I don't want to have you studying multiple passages of scripture to make one point. <laughs> so understand that when you read Luke chapter 13, you come away with the understanding that there is a need to be reconciled to God. There is a need to repent. The coming of divine judgment 
which to Luke's readers at the time would have been post-temple destruction in AD 70. In other words, the people who, who are reading what Luke has to write at this point would have seen the temple destroyed in AD 70. And they would then relate this to that. And lastly, it was understood that this was a fulfillment of the judgment and that many Jews were excluded from God's kingdom. You can read about that in Acts chapter 13, 46 to 47, Acts 18 and 6, Acts 28, verses 26 through 30. Now, I don't want to confuse you with this. I wanted to bring up the fact that there was another fig tree in Scripture. And that the point of this fig tree was that it was not producing fruit and that there was a desire to eliminate that tree because it wasn't producing fruit. There was an intercessor who said, let's give it a little more time and a little bit more attention and give it an opportunity to produce fruit. And if it doesn't, then we'll cut it down. But if it does produce fruit, That's the design of the tree. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And that is a metaphor for Israel. They had never produced fruit in a way that they were designed to do. And so ultimately it became cut down. That's what happened when they were overtaken by the Romans and why the Romans destroyed the temple. And it was vast destruction for the for the Jews. And of course, when Christianity took hold after Christ came, Many of them fought against it. And so you just see this judgment against them, this cutting away, this destruction that was predicted. And the tree is a metaphor for that in both passages, both in Luke and in Matthew. So as we consider Matthew 21 and the destruction of the fig tree, it is almost certainly correct to see this passage as a foreshadowing of the destruction of the sacrificial system in Israel. You remember in the Old Testament, bring your bulls, bring your goats, bring your wave offering, your salt offering, your grain offering, all that stuff. None of that is taking place today. It's been destroyed. It's been replaced. Matthew then provides about as a dramatic an illustration as one could conceive of God enabling us to do that which seems humanly impossible. Now, this should inspire confidence in his ability to empower us for lesser feats. Well, what is it that he's empowering us to do? You remember when Jesus says that, yes, I've done some great things, but you'll do even greater things. Man, I mean, that's another passage that we can study just based on the fact that he said that. How can we do greater things than he did? He was the son of God. He healed uh, uh, the blind. He, he brought the dead back to life. He healed the lame. He fed 4,000, 5,000 with a few fishes and a few loaves. And you're saying that I can do greater things? Well, yeah. Well, he did what he did through the power of God. And we can do great things through the power of God as well. And when he said you'll do greater things, he was one person. And he influenced 12 who influenced thousands, right? Thousands. And even we today are still in the position to be able to utilize the power of God, to spread the word of God, to bring about the kingdom of God. And when I say bring about the kingdom of God, what I mean is to expand the borders of that kingdom. That's great power. And that's all with real alignment because we are dependent upon God and we have faith in God. We act. We act in alignment with his will. And that's what this is about. 
When we pray, we must pray with faith. It means that we have to leave room for God's will to override ours. So when the Bible says, whatever you ask for, this may well still refer to whatever the disciples request concerning the replacement of the sort of Jewish cult, their uh, temple worship, the, the personality of the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and all of those folks that we read about uh, with the new covenant Jesus is inaugurating. Right? We're moving from Judaism to Christianity. And perhaps Jesus further implies, as a writer named Harrington phrases it, he says that faith and prayer, not the temple, are now the way to God. Right? Again, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by me. In previous times, people went to God through the Jewish structure, the Levites, the priests. And you'll recall that the head priest, the uh, high priest, would go on the Day of Atonement into the Holies of Holies to make sacrifice for people. But you also remember that that same Holies of Holies had its barrier torn from top to bottom, the veil, when Jesus died on the cross, thus giving us access through Christ directly to God. And that's what prayer is about. Even now, when we pray, we pray to God, but we pray in the name of of Jesus. Amen. Right. In the name of, by the authority of, and the power of. So we go to God through the agency of Jesus. So then in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. In all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. That has a lot more to do with demonstrating faith in God trusting God and the will alignment that comes with that and reliance upon God, then granting our wishes, solving our specific problems. There are other passages that address how to go to God when we have a personal request for a personal need or personal suffering. But this is not that. This has to do with our faith in God trust in God, alignment with God, and reliance upon God. And when he contextually shows that the temple is headed for destruction because the people have not aligned themselves with God, that's a punishment. But those who are aligned with God and through his son, Jesus Christ, as would later be written by another, can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. This isn't about praying to win the lottery. This isn't about praying to attract the affections of someone who you desire uh, to be mated with. This isn't about that you would receive the car or the home or the job of your dreams. No, not at all. This is about being in such alignment with God that what you pray for is the expansion of the borders of his kingdom that you pray for is that those with whom you talk with would ask what they too must do to be saved. That sin would not overtake this world, but righteousness would. 
when we pray along those lines, we can expect for those prayers to be answered. We can expect to be empowered by God to accomplish great things and that we should have faith that we will, not because of who we are or what we can do, but because of who God is and what he can do. And if we would simply align ourselves and our will with him, we can move mountains. Thank you for joining the Solid Food Podcast. Until next time, I wish you great spiritual food and great study. And be sure to bring a friend to our next meeting.